hello. This is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and we are in a new place today. We are here with Dr. Richard Perez in the building that looks kind of like a ship with a prow that many of you have seen as you drive by on Fuller Road. It's the Atmospheric Sciences Building, and Dr. Perez is a senior researcher who has a passion for solar. And as you look around his office, as I am now, you would see his entire desk is lined with the many, many awards he's gotten. I'll read just one. Renewable Energy Innovator of the Year. (laughs) That's from the Association of Energy Engineers. And our reporter, Rose Schneider, ran into him at a forum at Gilderland and was so impressed with him, we decided we had to talk with him. So thank you for making the time for us. Thank you. And I'd like to find out if you could just start kind of at the beginning of your passion for solar. Where where did it come from? How did you how did you develop that as your chief interest? Chief t- interest came from very very long time ago. I was living in France back then. Um, there was that energy crisis in the 1970s. And we had to go out and fight for oil and save it yes, to I make sure. It. Yeah. And for me, that didn't make any sense that we would fight for something and there may be better ways around. Then I, I was fortunate that I went to a lecture in Paris and someone just presented key numbers and it looked like solar was a very, very big number to grow on. So... I I thought that's the way to go. That's and the where the passion so started. So from the 1970s until now, there's been a lot of progress that's been made, but I understand there's a lot more to be made. So if you can just kind of tell us <clears> a little, and I went online to find some stories, and I see you've written <laughs> dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of articles. So it's going to be hard to put it in a nutshell, but if you could just kind of tell us what your research consists of. Okay, so... First progress, and then research. Yeah. So, solar has not changed. Solar is the sun, same same old sun we've had for millions of years. So, that's the good part about solar, is that it's very stable. Constant. What has changed is, is the technologies to harness it and transform it into forms we can use. And over, over the years, we can use solar energy in a variety of ways, to make heat, to heat buildings, or heat hot water, or to make electricity. And the technology that has evolved the most rapidly is electricity making. And one of them in particular, which is photovoltaics, transformation of direct conversion of sunlight into electricity. So when I got started into my research work, uh, satellites in space, Mm Uh, but the terrestrial part was extremely expensive. But over those 30 years of work, it has come down in price very appreciably, where today it's probably the cheapest way to make an uh, electric kilowatt hour, a single unit of electricity. It's probably the, the cheapest way to do it today is, is by solar energy. And I know that this country is lagging behind Europe in its embrace of this technology what what are the hurdles what kinds of things have to be overcome in order 
or I guess another way of asking the question is, why is a company like Germany so far ahead in terms of using renewable energy? Um, oh, that's a multifaceted, long question. Well, good. We've got time. <laughs> so, first, the, the grass looks always greener out there, so we think out there is better. Yeah. It is in some ways, but in others not. So... Germany got so far ahead, and that was the only country in the world for a long time, much more than neighboring France, which has more sunshine than Germany. But Germany was the country with most installed solar power of every single country of the planet combined for many years. And I think it's all traceable to the big scare they had with the Chernobyl Mm -hmm. nuclear incident where they were under the clouds and kids could not eat uh, salad or anything grown in the fields for months because of the Chernobyl, the fallout from from Chernobyl. So it was a huge scare. And they also had a Green Party, which was influential, and, and they started with something called net metering early on. Tell uh, us about uh, no, not Not net metering, uh, feed-in tariff, I'm sorry. So... Feed-in tariff was something that was invented, in fact, in Switzerland, and it, it's a special tariff to sell your own electricity to the utility company, very at a price high enough so that your investment in solar can pay off. So if you put up, for instance, solar panels in your home, the surplus of this energy, you would then sell it back? No, you would sell everything in Germany. So in Germany and Switzerland, when it got started... Photovoltaic was extremely expensive, much more expensive than what you paid for electricity. Mm-hmm. So you had a special tariff at which you could put that system on your roof and sell it to the utility company at a very high price. Oh, so see. your investment would pay that. off. I and see. that was a very good system. And utilities didn't mind it too much initially because that was, they thought that was a small program and that would fizzle out at some point, yeah. but it didn't. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it got to be a very large business in Germany. Uh, And they enabled countries like China and others to actually supply that market with lower and lower cost systems. And so it, it was photovoltaic is more or less a tale of three countries it's the US first because we invented everything in, in the US. In terms of the in terms of the technology, and yeah, in the seventies, yeah. the, okay. Then Germany, because they created a, a giant market and enabled people to supply that market, and the people who supply that market first and foremost are the the Chinese companies, and they made the technology very very rock bottom price. Affordable. Affordable, yeah. and other countries follow. Of course, there are panels which are made in the U.S. which are almost the same price as the Chinese, but that was that big. So Germany enabled it, China supplied it, and now the the, 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 the world United States is invented it. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, in fact, France invented it in the 19th century. And oh, tell us about that. It was Mr. Becquerel, who can, is kind of credited with a... F- Uncovering the photovoltaic effect, oh, I didn't know but that. the first one to really put it in practice with a workable device are the the people at Bell Lab in the nineteen fifties that created actually the first solar cell that doesn't look all that much different from what we see on people's roof today. Huh. 
Well, it's interesting to me that both your personal experience, which came out of this 1970s crisis, and then the German experience, which came out of the Chernobyl crisis, you know, propelled you personally and propelled the entire country to to move to this renewable model. But is there something short of a crisis that should or could be done to motivate either? It seems to me it's almost beyond the scope of an individual, um, that it must take some sort of government leadership to, to move a country or a people forward in that direction. Yep, it's, uh, it's also a good, great question and great way to frame it. So th- there is a lot of inertia in keeping things the way they are. A lot of... I found out. Inertia. So s- there are a lot of, of businesses making energy today, and okay. they like to keep it this way. There are a lot of people working for those businesses, and it, changing that is, is really hard to do. The oil, gas, and, and coal businesses are trillion-dollar industries, and, and it's like really hard to, to, make, to change it. And also we have the way our regulations and, and the, the way to deploy solar energy is also learn-as-we-go type thing. So it's, we don't have we, – we need a, a, a smart plan to, to actually take full advantage of that low-cost energy. So, like, there's no overall comprehensive plan on how to do there this piecemeal? There is, piece m- yes, correct. It's total piecemeal, and it's uh, people evolve as they go. Even, even Germany, who kind of spearheaded the world with their feed-in tariff system, now they are kind of running out of steam because that thing grew too much and didn't grow uh, optimally as it, should, as it could have. So now we have the opportunity in the U.S. to actually grow solar energy optimally and eventually shoot for a large fraction of energy being powered by solar. So a question, too, is uh, for our listeners, what can an individual do? I read somewhere that you yourself live in a passive solar house. Can you tell us a little about your house and how sure. you built have, it and why? And yeah, we've had a solar house for since 1995 which is a passive house which so we have heat solar heat from the sun through large windows and where is your house it's in delmar just uh, okay. 10 minutes from here and just if you could describe what's involved in the construction what makes a passive solar house that and also how costly is it is something well for, for us it was do? a total no-brainer Okay, why? Why was it a no Because a, a passive solar house is not all that different <coughs> from a regular house, except it has most of the windows on the south sides, and those windows are big, and they let the sunshine into the house. Which so, must be lovely. Just yeah, the it, it of is it, lovely. Yeah. So, and we also put a photovoltaic system way back then that that actually cost a lot then, but. Financially, it was not that hard to do. We, we got a construction loan to build a new house. And with everything included... And did you design it yourself? Or are there people out there that are working on designing these? Um, I have a friend who came up with an idea of affordable solar, which is a factory-built house. So it was delivered on site, pre-built in, oh four, in four trucks, and it was up in a couple of days. Oh, my goodness. 
goodness. And you would not tell it's a factory build house if you look at it today. It looks just like a regular house. And so has all of your power in your house come from your photovoltaic? Photovoltaic? <laughs> no, it, it was so expensive back then that we had only a two kilowatt system that I supplied see. about one third of the electricity. But two years ago, we upgraded to a, a larger system that has enough electricity now to power the whole electric bill plus two uh, hybrid electric cars. So my commute is, is, is worked on solar. Oh, it's, my goodness. So you are committed all the way yeah. with everything you do. Yes. Uh, but the message I, I gave at the library is that, that system, the system, solar system we have today, the regulatory system, enables people like me who can, af can afford it mm -hmm. to, to go solar, <laughs> even 100% solar through transportation and everything. However, this, this may be... Uh, not the ideal way to promote the, the big solar picture that we would like to see in, in the U.S. or in other so countries. So what is the ideal way to promote the big solar? The ideal way is, is uh, to recognize that electricity is not an individual's people to do. It's, it's a utility company to actually take care of it. For me, a solar world would be to, when I turn on the the switch and I get electricity working I just want to know that that thing came from solar it doesn't need to be on my roof it needs to be the, sup the main supply needs to be solar so what would interest companies in making that dramatic switch how would that happen they will it's, it's a matter of those companies not knowing the big picture yet and and also the, the solar industry not forwarding the, the, the good message out. Currently, the solar industry and, and people like who own solar are kind of fighting against the utility companies. And the utility companies are maybe resisting it. And if you understand solar and, and the power grid and the requirements, you, you, you understand why they are, they are dragging their feet. Well, just unpack that a little for us. What is it we need to understand? To so the, the thing about solar is that it's, it's, a, it's a viable intermittent resource. So there is a cloudy day, it's down, supply is down. There is a so sunny like day, a it's plenty like today. like a battery to store you, uh, Battery is part of the equation, but okay. it's far from the solution. I'll get back to that. But that thing is intermittent. And when someone like me puts a big system on their roof, and there is a growing number of people who do that, they put it on the roof, and then this, when they overproduce, the grid takes it back. And then when there is not enough, we get it back from the grid. So we, we take the grid and the utility for granted, like a giant battery system for us. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm 100% solar on a yearly basis but on on a on a cloudy week I'm, I'm not producing any solar energy but I'm I'm still charging my car and using my electricity and people who are responsible to make that happen for me is the grid operator the utilities that operate the grid mm -hmm. so we have to facilitate utilities to embrace solar and currently we are not really doing it because there is no re real plan to do that Currently, we are facilitating people to deploy solar on their roofs or their businesses, or, but not there is no comprehensive solution 
to make it happen big time. And that solution does exist. In fact, new research that I'm working with with my son Mark at, in California and some others really show that you can supply firm electricity. So by firm, I mean 24-7 dis- available as opposed to available only on sunny days, available at night on cloudy days in winter or summer at a, a average production cost, which is close or even less than what we produce electricity today using gas, oil, coal, and, and nuclear. But what is that solution? So that solution in- involves battery. Okay. But if, you, if that's the only solution you consider... It's never, ever going to work. I can guarantee that to you. So people think battery storage, energy storage is a solution to make solar happen. And if you work out the numbers and you calculate how much energy storage you need to supply solar 24-7, you find out that that storage price will just kill the whole thing. It's going to cost like a dollar per kilowatt hour. So we had to think outside the box and... And that's my son's PhD at Columbia. He, he thought a little bit outside the box, and he said, let's overbuild solar and, and curtail it and, and purposefully waste some of it. So say hour of electricity per year for your home. Mm-hmm. Well, you need more like a thousand. So... The conventional wisdom is say, I'm going to design a, a solar system that's going to produce my thousand kilowatt hour, and then I'll net meter it with a utility, and then I'll zero in at the end of the year. I'll have produce all the energy I need for my home. It break even, but in reality, you know that in winter you're going to underproduce, and in summer you're going to overproduce, and someone will have to make sure that the balance works out for you. So that's that's the intermittency problem. And if if I were to build a battery in my house to do that myself, that battery would be gigantic, and I would pay so much for it that I, it would, make I, it I would not go for it. Yeah. However, the solution is if I overbuild my system. If instead of shooting for one thousand kilowatt hour, I shoot for two thousand kilowatt hour bigger system, and I. L- I can afford a much, much smaller battery storage system. So it, it's finding the sweet economical price between I battery see, so storage. So in the swing of up and down, you want to overbuild so that yep. you can find this kind of middle ground when, and then you don't need yep. the big battery to hold. Yes, and it, you, you find that economic sweet spot. And, and that economic sweet spot in, in a state like Minnesota, we just did a study for the Minnesota Solar Pathways, and those results are amazing. Amazing in what way? In terms of being able to produce uh, electricity in that northern state 24-7 year-round at less than $0.05 cents per kilowatt hour. Oh, my with goodness. With pure solar. Yeah, because you think of Minnesota as being very far north. Uh, it's not all that different from New York solar-wise, really? oh, but, okay. but it's, uh, it's still considered a northern state. Huh. But the, just thinking outside the box and overbuilding solar minimizes the battery and lets you so currently our system is not designed to do that at all the only way to finance solar is to to grab every single uh, ounce of energy it produces and monetize it to make your investment pay off it's it's an anathema 
to say we're going to overbuild and waste half of it. However, the the road to the cheapest firm solar electricity is overbuilding. Yeah, you're right. That is thinking outside the box because most of us have the old-fashioned fossil fuel model where the oil or the coal costs a certain amount. So Mm -hmm. overproducing it would be, you know, as you say, anathema. But if it's free and it's solar and it's sun and you overproduce it, you haven't lost any. It's not free. You still have to buy the modules, something. But but even even if you work out all the numbers with PV, photovoltaic, at, at its expected future cost and batteries at their expected future cost, you can find that optimum, minimum sweet spot where you can actually say, I, I can guarantee 24-7, 365 days a year, pure solar energy at X amount, and that X is not it's not a high amount. So this is your son's, it's a PhD thesis at Columbia? Yeah, I finished it like three years ago, and I was putting it in practice oh, working for a California company. What's the next company. step? How do you get people to actually, you know, embrace that? And he's doing it himself? Actually, he's, yeah, he's, he's involved in a project in Minnesota from the U.S. DOE, and the results will come out in a, in a matter of weeks now, and they're, they're really far-reaching. And, and is this an industry where, and I know you're an editor of, I have it written down here. Solar Energy Journal, is this an industry where people are all sort of reading the same journals and following each other, and it's likely that... There are many journals, and uh, information sometimes takes funny ways to travel, so that overbuilding is still totally unknown by our decision makers and the people who make regulations and everything, at least in New York State. Uh In in my presentation in Gilderland, I had Minnesota, because we had just finished that study, and the results are going to come out and we had the regulators and utility companies there as part of the project Uh and it turns out they are going to embrace that I have a project with a French utility company in in an island very similar to Puerto Rico which is in the Indian Ocean and I'm going there in a couple of weeks What is that island? It's called La Reunion Island it's near Madagascar Oh, okay It's a million people that live there so it's it's, uh, and they have a very similar to to Puerto Rico in many ways, size-wise and population-wise. And they are looking at doing their grid mostly solar. And, f- of course, they need firm electricity, so they are going to apply those techniques. And we're starting that project with them in a, in a couple of weeks. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So you work but as But then like I had a, a map of New York, and I say, well, this is a good example of not being a prophet in, in, it, in one's own country. <laughs> Because in New York, I've not been able to convince anybody about the wisdom of that approach yet. Oh, my gosh. I hope I will. But this island that you're going to, you're like a consultant there, and they're following your advice in order to build this system that will overproduce to find that's what you call the sweet spot. We are spot. going to demonstrate. Yeah, we are working with a local university there, the University of La Réunion, and the, the utility company, the French utility company, EDF to actually study that and come up with the optimal solution for, for them to to supply firm electricity. Well, talking about New York, here's a po- problem I've personally experienced, and I don't know if you can shed any light, so to speak, on this. I and my husband signed up for community solar for our house because we're right under the Helderberg Escarpment. And Perfect. We community solar and, is great. Right, but we did this almost two years ago with a company that keeps sending us very nice emails, and basically they can't find a place 
that will take their they they told us when we signed up oh this will just be a matter of months it'll be online and they've now like looked for smaller and smaller parcels that that zoning will allow people <laughs> to you know allow them sure. to build it i know that's and because there is no 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 plan to, to, to make that kind of thing happen in, in, in the most intelligent way. Currently, it's piecemeal, so yeah, but I'm just wondering. everybody's adapting to the regulations in place and trying to find their niche. So, so you, have, you have some pretty strange things that develop, like there is something that developed a few years ago called remote net metering that was... So you don't have, you don't have it on your roof, so you put it somewhere else, but you're still getting the credit for that electricity. Right. That, that was sort of this idea. You so buy into this I farm. know, and, and electrically it doesn't make any sense and it, it oh. infuriates the grid operators because <laughs> legally and financially people find their way. Yeah. So we have regulations and people are playing with a regulation system to make things happen. So um, the system doesn't enable the smart thing to happen. For me, the smart thing to happen would be let the utilities take control of managing the the solar and, and the storage and everything because they they know that that's their business they know what to do f with electricity transfer they don't need to own the the pv that could still be owned by people like you and me through community solar but currently the the way community solar works doesn't ex doesn't work that way it's just yeah it's just I, something that's that tried to adapt to the, the regulations problem. and the other problem seems to be there's like a negative mindset of like I don't want this in my backyard. Oh, that's um, where people we've covered in the towns that we cover several solar projects where neighbors turn out in force and they they don't want to have what they consider their views ruined. And I, I mean, no, I know. So, but it's yeah. Is it's, there a solution to this, or um, is it just well? There is no there is no solution to human. <laughs> Human I mean, behavior. I guess if you look at, say, utility poles, you could think they were ugly, but we're used to looking yeah. at them. Is it just a matter well, of accepting? Taking taking the big picture, taking a huge step back and, and looking at the big picture. And, and In fact, I would like to show a diagram in the microphone, but we're on the <laughs> well, audio, I know. Just describe it with words. <laughs> so we looked at, in that Minnesota case, and even U.S.-wide, if you want to supply 100% of the electricity for the state... Of, of for the whole country, the U.S., we did that as well. And you're going to overbuild solar to get that sweet economic spot. How much space will that will that solar occupy? You mean how much space will be on the ground? With on these the ground, panels? yes, yes. And for the U.S., the number is 8,500 square miles. So it's it's a big number, right? Yeah. 8,500 sounds big. It does. Until you you put it in perspective. The U.S. is 8 million square kilometers, so it, it's a tiny fraction. And for electricity purposes today, we're already using twice as much space with hydropower. All, all those artificial oh, lakes. the lakes the take lakes up that, that surface area. You're saying it's greater surface area. They occupy about 15,000 square miles, those lakes, oh and they only gosh. produce 5% of the electricity we use. And your model would preserve. Oh, it's 100%? not a model. It's it's probably yeah. a reality. Yeah, it's, oh, you would do hundred percent with half the surface. And 
so it's a big number and it can be infuriating if it's in front of you all the time, but it's, it represents about less than the surface occupied by high-density urban development today. So it, it's, a, it's a, not a big amount and it's 1% of the cropland. So imagine every field of crop with 1% dedicated to to supplying you 100% solar electricity forever. It's not a bad deal. No. It, but there is no plan to enable that today. But the, so the, the physics and the, tells us that, that it's the way to go. So again, it sounds like you're running into walls a lot. You've done the research. You have the theory. But what you're lacking is some kind of a planning mechanism that would allow these things yes, to Yes, and my, my approach is not to butt my head against the wall forever because I, I'd get a big headache in the end of the day. <laughs> it's, it's to go where, where the flow is moving positively, and it turns so, out that Minnesota is the right place to do that. Minnesota and an island. And in maybe the, France as well yeah. and some other place. And, and when that gets... Ex- exposed. Maybe the New York Times will pick up something uh, happening in Minnesota when they come out public with those results. Then, then it's a bandwagon. So I, I hope that it will work that way, as opposed to me trying to knock on the door of yeah. the PSC and uh, them thinking I'm a crackpot uh, ivory <laughs> tower scientist. <laughs> I've heard that. Do you get that a lot? I get that a little bit, yeah. Yeah, ivory tower, sci- ivory tower scientists. Because it seems to me like your feet are so firmly on the ground. You know, you're doing all this behind him on the wall here. Just tell us what that, these are. Um, well, this is a study we did uh, now almost 12 years ago for the province of Quebec. Uh-huh. We had developed that technique to monitor the amount of available so- solar energy for the taking using uh, remote sensing from satellite. So now we do that everywhere around the globe. You can tell me a place on the planet, and I can tell you how much solar energy they're getting right now, how much uh-huh. they're going to get tomorrow using forecast. So what it looks like for listeners is it looks like kind of marvelous modern art because there are different um, colors yep. that must represent different so amounts of light. So the colors, yeah, the, light. the redder it gets, the more energy you get, and the bluer it gets, the, the less energy you get. So I really, this half an hour went so fast, I can't thank you enough. Is there any kind of closing thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any last words? Closing thoughts? Uh, well, go to, go, go to my website and look at the, at the, the page. And uh, what is your website? It's you Google Richard Perez Solar, and it will be first on the, on the list. And then you will see the... I have a, a little diagram that compares the energy resources of the planet. Mm-hmm. And it, you can see that solar is a thousand times bigger than anything else, coal, oil, all, all the fossil fuels and all the renewables. So when I, when I hear someone in, in charge, in quotes, <laughs> telling me that we, we need an energy basket, we cannot, we cannot put all the eggs in solar. And, and for me, it's, it's like... It goes contrary to the physical evidence. Solar is thousand times bigger than anything else. It powered the planet for millions of years. So we, we can really count on it to power us for the future without having to rely on a, on a basket of other stuff like oil or gas or what, what not. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much.